Good morning. Welcome back to the basement. My name is Tim, and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but this has been a whole hell of a lot of fun, and I'm here to answer your questions. That's probably a terrible way to open a podcast, but what the hell? No, I'm sitting in my basement. <laughs> I'm sitting in my basement with my man Miles, who has helped me get this back off the ground. And it is uh, it is a Saturday. I guess it doesn't matter which specific Saturday it is. It's a Saturday. On Saturdays, I love opening up the old AMAs and seeing what kind of questions are out there. You should go for a walk and answer as many of them as I can, try to get to that. And I'm not quite sure if it's an annoying status bar to have or if it's good because it's a shitload of content. But in Instagrams where you go in Instagrams, in Instagram where you go in and you see that somebody's got like a thousand story posts on a given day because they're all super small little dots at the top. Uh, I try to get to that spot because y'all ask tons of amazing questions and I try to get to as many of them as I possibly can without it being what I do just for the entirety of the day because I am still a dad and a husband and every other thing I need to do on a day in a day basis. So anywho, we're going to take some of those questions. I sent a handful of screen grabs to Miles and he's gonna pick some and ask them and I'm gonna see how well I can ramble and uh, let's have some fun, so. All right, cool. So I think we'll do this in sort of sections. And I think because you were talking about parenting before and you just said, explain to your dad, I think we start with some like family questions. So. Mary asks, uh, just found out we're expecting this week parenting advice. It's so funny. First of all, it's just funny as hell to be in a position where you're giving parenting advice because <laughs> it does feel it's so surreal being uh, a parent. And hopefully, regardless of what age you are, if you're watching or listening to this, you'll get a takeaway from this because it's weird as fuck to go from like, you're just the person that's trying to make sure you have enough cans of tuna in your kitchen to create a meal for yourself on a consistent basis. And then all of a sudden, and I will do this with Evelyn. Sometimes I'll turn around and be like, uh, yo, where, where'd you, where'd you come from? She's like, what are you talking about dad? And I think she kind of knows like where I'm going with it now because she's 10 and it's, you know, I do this every once in a while, but you will, you'll stand there and be like, where the hell did you come from? And I will, full on play through that series of questions with her. And it's kind of hilarious to be like, wait a minute, you have a room here too. And be like, and you keep your food. Like, so those are your snacks in that drawer. Like, when did you take over that shelf from us? So anyway, for somebody that's newly expecting, or if you're considering having a kid, a couple of things I would say that are just going to help out tremendously. One is a piece of advice that my mom gave me, which is the the child is coming into your world. Do not change your world for the child, which sounds totally counterintuitive to probably what a lot of people think or assume about having a kid like, oh, everything changes on that day and you're going to look at things totally differently, which is true to a certain extent, but it's still your world. I think the parents that start to get things twisted and start to get out of their own mindset for how they approach a day or a situation or start to become helicopter parents or they worry too much or they may not be as engaged as they should be are the parents that try to reconfigure things around the kid. Evelyn just went and did everything with us because of that piece of advice. You know, I'm sure, you know, heavily influenced by a multitude of things from both Kelly and I, but I'll always remember that 
my mom telling me that she is coming into your world. Don't change your world for her. So that meant we immediately started taking her to restaurants. You know, she started going to concerts and ranger games at a super early age. And I think that that helped her get well adjusted, right? She was kind of thrust into these positions where it was a bit of sink or swim. And then in addition to that, it's like, please and thank you and eye contact were deal breakers. There were things like the silly stuff I could give a shit about, but the deal breakers were, are you being polite? Are you self- Can I make sure that you're self-aware enough so that you're not too loud at the table, that you're not acting shitty in public? Like all of those types of things where sometimes you're like, Jesus Christ, is that parent like totally tuned out? Like how in the world is this kid behaving that way? I would let the silly and the fun stuff go, but then be really hard and direct into the point about these are the basics that any human being is required to bring to the table or should be required to bring to the table and um, and make sure that those are enforced. And the last thing I'll say, especially for somebody that is ex- expecting soon, it's going to be wildly frustrating out of the gate. It's just going to be phases. So just just roll with it. The more calm you are throughout, even doesn't matter, weeks, months, years, the more calm you are around the child, the more calm the child is likely to be. And Miles and I were, Miles and I were talking about this right before we started recording. Like, you know, he remembers his dad being super chill. I think I'm a pretty chill across the board. And because I exist at basically like a five on the overall barometer of both volume, intensity, and, you know, anger versus whatever, if I get to a six or a seven, Evelyn knows like, oh shit, he's serious. There's a lot of parents that will go from like a two to a 10 in the blink of an eye multiple times during a day. And then a kid's like, whatever, like everything's kind of a hot mess. And then it, then just like drama and tantrums and all that kind of shit is inevitable. But if you're just super chill and you're kind of like, why are you freaking out right now? If they start to freak out, then I think that they've got a much better chance of just being calm. So it's in phases stay calm, be present, try to be strict with the things that are just good, polite manners, and then let the silly stuff go because they're kids. And enjoy the fact that you get to do your childhood all over again. Lindsay says she has a baby due, her first baby due in July. Her job is demanding. Do you have any advice for working moms on how to find a balance? First of all, I how dope that a working mom would trust me with a question like this. Like that's, I... Couldn't ask for a better compliment. So thank you, Lindsay. Um, just know that there is a there should be a high level of of respect by your coworkers for just being who you are in the first place. So hopefully that can instill some confidence in you that there should be a higher level of awareness. I hope this is the case in your workspace that it is just dope and admirable and inspiring that that balance is is possible and it's not easy so i'd just say i would be calm and i mean i i add the word common to a lot of answers because i just think that it is a superpower that is greatly underestimated or underappreciated i should say 
just be chill about it. Don't feel like you need to ever make an excuse, like not an excuse, but don't feel like you ever need to like qualify something because you have, because you have a new child and because you're trying to balance both worlds. And also don't forget that it's a bit of a cycle. And I think that this just applies to anything work-life quote unquote balance. It's less of a balance and it's more of a cycle. So when you can infuse positivity or if you can have a smile about the situation that is inevitably going to pop up when somebody gets sick or like, and it just like these things happen where you're going to have to stay home or you're going to have to not be online for a while because someone's got a fever or there's something going around daycare, like all those potential scenarios, just roll with it. There's your, you know, your best as a mom, as a working mom is going to be good enough. If you can just own the space, continue to be yourself, look for ways so that positivity on the home front confuse positivity at work and vice versa. And just know that it's a superpower that people should respect. Um, I think you put it at the front of the table and, you know, certainly don't like have it be the theme of everything all the time, but, um, you're a working mom and that's badass. And if you just, uh, if you just own it, keep doing your thing, then you're probably going to, you're probably going to be fine. Plus you're just getting additional managerial experience for better or worse, because, uh, managing a child in a home front is not too dissimilar from managing a team. So, you know, whether or not you get a team right now, you're going to, you're going to start to take on some uh, serious managerial responsibilities. Uh, and certainly multitasking is going to get um, up significantly as well. So hopefully that's at least moderately helpful. I think we'll do one more family one and then maybe go into work stuff. Uh, my son is seven, Dee Dee says, uh, just, and he just started playing goalie this year. Do you have any advice for him? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh, goalies are weird as hell. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if that's the first response that you want, but, uh, they also may not like it, right? There's a distinct possibility that after a while, like this isn't for me. So it goes back to the phases piece as well, because life is just a series of phases. And this could be a phase in which the, there's a desire to try out being a goalie and it could not be what's possible for, um, what's possible for this burgeoning athlete the what i will say is it there's so much that it can teach anyone you can be so much more comfortable with winning and losing if you can wrap your head around this the right way because you're in a position where everything could be your fault and if you're okay with that that can be a superpower because you've just started to put yourself in a position where you were just that much more comfortable and confident that either way you're going to be okay Right, and that it is just a game, but you can take on that stress and you can play that position. They will learn to have a head on a swivel. Don't be, you know, it's it's going to be nerve wracking. My mom always said, like being the mother of a goalie is a is a not the <laughs> is arguably one of the more difficult positions for a mom who has a kid who's an athlete to be in, right? Because you feel like they're just winging pucks at whatever, however fast at your kid. And they're always in the, they're always in harm's way. I mean, kind of, not really, you know, they're going to be fine. They're going to have plenty of equipment on, you know, be okay with the fact that there's going to be times where they're going to like, they will have people chanting or especially if they go on and they do solid things in the space, 
They could be in a position where they've got people standing around them chanting, it's all your fault. You know, can't tell you how many times that happened to me at how many different rinks. Uh, and that's okay, because I think that the fortitude that that gave me or the ability to be that much more mentally tough um, was was an amazing thing. So, I mean, I'm obviously I'm biased because I never wanted to play any other position. I remember one game I skated out because eventually they somebody was like, oh, you have to at least try it once. Like, you can't just be a goalie forever and never play a single game of hockey as any other position other than goalie. I did it once and I hated, I was, hate is strong. I was like, there's absolutely no way. This is not what I'm meant to do. I am meant to be between the pipes. That's where I belong. And so maybe it's their calling. You know, maybe this is the start of something that's going to define them for the rest of their lives. Because I do think as much as I've not spoken about being a goalie and as much as I've, you know, I've talked about hockey a bit, but it's certainly come up more and more recently. But without question, being a goalie has defined me and will continue to define me in ways that people see on a day in and day out basis and ways that people do not. Um, It's just, it's at the core of my being at this point. Okay. I think we can do some uh, business questions. Everyone, there's a ton of these. It's really fun. Um, I think this is a fun one to start off. In my first, this person is in their first director level role. Do you have any advice on being a leader and or being on a leadership team? Absolutely. I love this shit because it's so funny too. Like when I, when I sit here and do these and the more and more that I do podcasts and why I call it long-winded by nature is Miles is seeing here in real time and anybody that's spoken to me on the phone or in a chat or outside of just knowing me from TikTok, like I'm very much long-winded by nature. So I, I love this topic because I have a lot to talk about on this topic. I've got 10 years of executive level experience now, managed people before I took on this role. And for whatever reason, and it feels weird to say it, but people leadership is genuinely something that I was supposed to do or is actually like a a space that um, I've been able to flourish in. At the same time, (laughs) I will open the answer by saying, I have a lot to talk about on this shit. Like it's you know, so inherently there's that um, 25-year-old mentality that doesn't get out of my head too. But, all right, so answer the question, Tim. The, some some things to consider. First and foremost, you have to care about the people. Like you have to actually care about them as human beings and individuals. Because if you can start there, you can meet them where they are, understand what makes them tick, and then you'll be able to get the most out of them in a way that's going to be most organic to who they are. I was once told, and then I'll get back to giving specific answers. I was once told as this person was retiring and somebody who had to go through arguably one of the most difficult years of either of our careers together because of some change that I was spearheading and implementing, and when he retired, when he retired, he turned to me and said, I wish I met you 20 years ago in my career. And I was like, that is dope. I never even considered, you know, as I was approaching things, having that be a potential outcome or having anybody ever say that to me ever as they're walking out a door or just in general. But the reason why I believe he felt he feels that way, felt that way, said that to me is because I genuinely cared about him as a human being. 
and he was 15 or is like probably 15 years older than me ballpark and i felt awkward as hell coming into the situation having a lot of people that were older than me that i then had to manage but it didn't matter if it was somebody that was 22 years old or somebody that was 52 years old i tried to get an understanding of how you know what's their home life like and certainly not like in like an overly creepy stockish way but just like when they walk in the door at the end of the day, what is that scene genuinely like generally and genuinely like? Because I believe as a people leader, if you can wrap your head around the notion that at the end of the day, people go home and they're going to have conversations about how their day went and it's your job to put them in a position to more often than not say today was a good day. If you can wrap your head around that concept, the rest of it becomes inherently easier. All right. So there's like the overarching philosophy that I believe you should put in some actual tactics that can be implemented that make the day-to-day easier are being willing to acknowledge and have direct conversation in this general principle of radical candor. Look up radical candor. It is something that can be extraordinarily useful on a day-in and day-out basis. It's basically the ability to have real-time conversations on a rolling basis that will be able to help people address things and then improve based off of not waiting until a performance review to have specific conversation about how things are going. And especially if you can do it in a way that is direct without it being mean or unintentionally making somebody feel bad about it. If you can perfect radical candor, that can be a superpower. Know that your skills as a leader are going to be like golf clubs in a golf bag. You're going to need different ways of approaching things. There is no one specific approach to leadership, whether it is, you know, obviously you want, you know, empathy, humility. You want to be, you want to show that you're the hardest working person in the room. At least I believe that that's critical. You know, you want to be strategic and trusted, but at the same time be open But how you apply different elements of that are going to be like, okay, cool. In this situation, do I need my driver or do I need a putter based off what's actually happening? And then the last piece that I would say for getting into this role is I love the idea of like wrapping your head around goals on a weekly basis. That's how I came up with the strategy of win the week on a, you know, and going into a week specifically laying out like, here are the things that I believe we need to do. Let's talk about those things, add or remove from that list. And then I will do things that are considered administrative to make sure that that moves along. Because my job, your job is to set up the people around you to do their jobs as best possible. If you can be clear and articulate with how you're communicating to people, if you can care, if you can help simplify complex things, just like those elements alone can make a huge world of a difference. But this is also a topic that I could talk on for hours and hours and hours um, because there's so many different layers to it. So in the interest of uh, time and not being too long-winded by nature, I'll make note that being a first-time manager is probably something I should dedicate an entire podcast to and just uh, otherwise say, Miles, what else you got? Okay. Um, similar vein but i guess uh 
little different direction. What kind of questions do you as a VP, uh, what would you like to receive more from a junior leader in a first one-on-one meeting? Ooh, is in like, is it posed kind of like, what do questions do I want that person to ask me? Or like, what yeah, do I want to get so. from them? It seems like it's a question that they should ask. Interesting. Um, Hope I didn't misrepresent that. No, I mean, I, I mean, regardless, there's there's a really solid topic in there. So I, I would say first and foremost, I there's like this balance of what does that person see that they think is interesting and that they're most curious about? I think it's, I, it, for me personally, I know that I approach things differently than a lot of other people at my level. I want to know where people's curiosity lies, right? So like, what do they not understand is actually to me a good topic because then that helps me identify like, oh, where am I not clear and articulate with either vision or strategy or where do we have process gaps or where do we have training gaps? So understanding what make what somebody is curious about, I think is amazing. Um, also understanding what their recommendations are. I'd say two, two things, show your curiosity and show your curiosity for the business in smart ways. And by smart, it just means like, can you actually tie it back to something that is relevant? You know, if you're just like, you know, Hey, what's your favorite type of dog? That's certainly applying curiosity, but you know, uh, having curiosity about the job, the goals, the process, the role, like those types of things can be really interesting conversations to have with people that are above you. And then recommendations too. Just something to keep in mind. I think it's very easy for a lot of people to walk into boss's office and be like, here's something that's fucked up. You need to fix it because you're the boss versus here's I've identified this issue and here's what my recommendation is. Can we have a conversation about that? I'm, I've started to get much smarter. It took me a couple of years, but I started to get much smarter about not being okay with somebody just dumping a problem on my desk. It's my job to fix problems. It's my job to set up people to be successful, but I should I should be in a position where I have something to react to and that we're working on this together in most cases. So bring recommendations and be curious and you'll be dope. Yeah, I think that's really great. I had very similar advice multiple times in my working career where I just throw a problem at someone and then someone would be like, come back with three ideas. And yeah. I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, let's do one more of the work ones. And here's one that's, uh, do you have advice for someone who doesn't like their job anymore? Not sure when or if to leave. All right. I'm so glad you brought this one up. I think this is actually where I left off at when I got back from my walk this morning um, before starting to do some homework with Ev and then you coming over. So look, people get this one twisted so much. The way that the question is posed, the way that most people ask the question, and it's totally understandable, is if you get to this juncture and you're like, cool, I'm going to leave, and then something happens. The something that should happen after the way that you're posing that question should happen before you pose the question. The question isn't when or if to leave, 
The question is, what is the next step to get you in a position so that you have a decision to make? Think so if the if for anybody listening and watching, like think about that for a second. When or if to leave is based off of a decision that you have to make. That decision should is likely, hey, here's another job. Because your short-term decisions, if you're like, I, I'm not sure if this is the right job for me, then your short-term decisions are, am I going to do anything about that? Which would be, am I going to go through LinkedIn and start to look up what other jobs are out there? Am I going to set Google alerts for you know, these types of jobs being posted on these types of job sites. So you should always be doing those things. It's, this is based off of how our broader economy works. Everyone should always feel like they're in a position to keep their options open. And there's nothing wrong with exploring. You're not being disloyal. If you're using work time to do this shit, then of course, like that's, that's not smart for a multitude of reasons. But everyone should have their options on the table career-wise. You only get one career, you only get one shot. So if you're thinking that way, if you're posing that question, go backwards so that you can get to a place where you have a decision to make. Always know what your options are. So the answer is yes, you should always know what your options are. Only when it comes, only when it gets to the point of here's another job offer. And it's for this amount of money and it would be these types, this type of role. Then you have something specific and tangible to have a discussion about. Until then, it's all the micro steps. Should I look something up? Should I reach out? Should I click apply? Should I take the time to write a cover letter, right? There's all of those steps and like actually getting, addressing those and doing those will help put you in a position so that when the question that was asked now gets posed, you could be in a position where you've got like an A or a B choice. Up until then, it's just a matter of tactics as in regards to whether or not you want to put yourself in a position to have that choice. So uh, do the work so that you can have something really specific within that question to pick pathwise, if that makes sense. Do you want to do some like uh, sort of short rapid fire ones? Yeah. Okay, cool. Who do you have for the Stanley Cup pick? I don't. And here's why. When okay. it, when the Rangers are out of it, I don't I love just enjoying the games. Like it's so much more fun to not care about who's going to win. Just how fun and exciting is it going to be? The fact that the first game of the Eastern Conference Finals went seven periods basically is fucking nuts and like so much fun. So I don't really care. I root for good hockey. I root for there to be fun themes, but I don't care. I don't have a pick other than I can't believe that when whoever wins picks up the cup and raises it above their head, I'm going to be like, yo, that was the thing that was in my kitchen last week. And so. Yeah. I want to hear that story. <laughs> How did you get the Stanley cup in your kitchen last week? Uh, story is super good dude from the NHL named Neil went to, uh, he got me and a guy named JT Barnett tickets to a Ranger game back in March. And in between periods, he leans over and is like, hey, I've got an idea. I want to you know, pitch you an idea as we were kind of talking about general collaboration stuff. He's like, I want to bring the cup to your house. And I was like, yo. You can't say no. <laughs> I'm like, you think you had to pitch that to me? I was like, dude, I almost fell out of my fucking chair. I was like, 
it was one of those almost going back to the previous episode about ghosting stuff. I immediately in my head, I was like, this isn't real. There's a, this is never going to happen. This is not an actual conversation. And we talked about the fact that my dad comes back from Florida specifically for the Ranger playoff games. The Rangers were basically a lock to be in the playoffs the time we had the initial conversation. So it's just a matter of when. The initial date that we had aligned on would have been game one or two of the second round. And especially after the Rangers won the first two games against the Devils in New Jersey, it was like, cool. Not fully taking it for granted, but they should win this series. You win the first two games on the road, you should win the series. They don't. I was like, hey, I'll, I'm, I would still do this a thousand percent. Didn't line up timing wise. He's like, well, let me get back to you. Um, and then we aligned on a date. And the thought was, from my perspective, this was a gift that I could give to my dad. Mm-hmm for all of the practices that he drove me (laughs) to and like all the work that parents put in for supporting a kid, especially for hockey that requires probably a lot of time on the road, a lot of time sitting in cold ass rinks and like all the stuff that goes into that, Mm -hmm. let alone the fact that he got us into the garden in 1994 and like this was just going to be super special. And uh, we picked a date (laughs) and then, uh, and in fact, I just downloaded the Nest Cam footage yeah. Because I've got it off of the doorbell of like them coming up and holding it up. And it was, I didn't know how my dad was going to respond because he's like, he's had some pretty cool experiences in his life. Yeah. So I didn't know if he was going to be like, oh, this is cool, but like, I'm not going to get yeah. like, my son's not going to show me up, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But it was amazing because he kept being like, how did you make this happen? <laughs> um, and same with my friends. But the credit goes to a, just an amazing human being named Neil who um, pitched me the idea and it was an absolute no brainer. I mean, that's awesome. It's dream come, come true kind of stuff. Oh my God. Like I'm, I, I get goosebumps and st- I've still, I didn't sleep that night because I felt like I didn't do enough with it. <laughs> like, cause it, it's like, you want to balance. I want to enjoy the experience, yeah. but I want to have a shot sheet of like, what do I need to capture? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I also don't want to over-engineer it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't want to be like, everybody get out of the room. I need to do this. Yeah, it's hard to be aware that you're making memories. Right? Yeah. That's a, that is a fantastic way to put it. So I was, I felt lost going through it and trying to be like, this is amazing. Enjoy it. Don't over-engineer it. But at the same time, like, I have to make sure I get these shots. So I didn't sleep that night and I'm a diagnosed insomniac, which is a whole nother story. And I, so I take sleeping pills. So there's like rarely times where I don't sleep. I did not sleep that night because I was like, fuck, I didn't do enough. That was amazing. I'm still like on a buzz from it in general, but, um, oh my God, what a, what an experience. All right. We'll do two more really quick ones. Cool. Uh, this one's, I think nearly impossible. What is your favorite book? Catcher in the Rye. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was really fast. Yeah. Okay. Catcher in the Rye. The, it's it's it was written in a way that spoke to me so directly because it was like conversational and wasn't so polished. It felt real. A lot of other books that I read at the time when I read that book were so well written that it felt too much like English class where Catcher in the Rye was just this kid going through these things and he had this very specific way in which he spoke and which his brain worked. And I'm like, that makes sense. 
And I just think that there's like a lot of key learnings and it just, it helped me become way more comfortable with who I am as a human being. So Catcher in the Rye is always super easy for me to spit out on that one. Uh, last question. And it is, what has surprised you about being an influencer? And do you consider <laughs> yourself one now? Everything. Um, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's, this is the, this is the weirdest thing. It's, it's super fun because I love making stuff and I love having good conversation. I love that it's happening. Whatever is happening is happening now because I feel like if nothing else, if this continues to snowball because I've been in the, because I've been in corporate America for 20 years now and because I've got 10 years at an executive level and have all of that perspective and experience, I can be so helpful. I believe in so many different capacities that that would be the gift within all of this. It The rest of it is so surreal that I just keep going back to just what do I need to do next? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm technically an influ. I don't know, man. It's just fucking crazy at 45. Sorry to curse my <laughs> F standing right here. Uh, it's so weird to, to like this get stopped on the subway, mm -hmm. have people take selfies, like to have people actually reach out and ask questions to be sitting here in the basement with the cameras and like it's but it's just it's so fun because i genuinely love the space and i love the process of making stuff but the fact that i'm sitting on top of everything that i'm sitting on top of perspective wise that is relevant to millions of people from a career perspective that's what feels the best because there's amazing people out there that are making amazing content and there's like the jay shetties of the world and the people like gary vaynerchuk who do these incredible gigantic things that I could never fathom that are being helpful in similar capacities, but to like come from the actual cubes and to come from the office and to like be able to stand up and be like, yo, we're going to be okay. And here are things that are helpful and to be able to do that and be, have that conversation in like a fun way that people seem to be cool with. That's super dope. So I just want to, keep doing that as long as I can, as long as it's beneficial and as long as I stay exactly who I am now. <laughs> <laughs>